So the other day, I was scrolling on TikTok. Yes, I'm on TikTok. And um, some prayers from kids came up, and I wanted to share them with you. Side note, you know you're a pastor when your For You page has kids' prayers on them. Anyways, so they're sweet, and they're kind of funny, so I wanted to share them with you. So here's what it says. Here's what they said. Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels tell my father? Thank you. I feel like my kids prayed that prayer, still pray that prayer every single day. Dear God, help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I don't need help in anything else. <laughs> yeah, I've prayed that when I was in school. Dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. <laughs> That's what newborns do. I've had four. Trust me. <laughs> And we read the, and I read those prayers and I read them to you because those are so sweet, right? Those are so innocent. Those are kids. And as we grow up, our prayers change, don't we? Or do they? I mean, have you prayed for your kids to stop crying? If you're a parent, I had four. I prayed all the time for them to stop crying. Did you ever pray for help maybe in something you're studying in school, uh, maybe to get better at a job or to get a promotion, right? And I believe many of us have probably prayed for money, for finances, for, for God to provide, And so as we grow up, our prayers change, and sometimes they stop, don't they? Because we wonder, we're like, okay, does God even hear us? Do our prayers go past the ceiling? Am I just throwing words up in the sky, hoping there's some higher power up there listening to us? Am I even saying the right things? Do I need to speak in like King James Version, like Old English, thee, thou? Like, what are the right combination of words I need to say in order for God to hear me? Or many of you probably think, does prayer actually do anything? Does it change anything? Does it actually benefit my life? Why should I even pray? Well, and that's the whole purpose of this series. That's what we've been talking about. And we started last week with the interview with Joel and Brenda to Jesus. And it was so powerful. And here's why. Not because they learned to pray and then God answered other prayers. And now like a Hallmark movie, it's all better and everything is exactly how they wanted it. In fact, it's the opposite. She got the brain tumor removed, but now she had brain cancer. And at any moment, she could pass away. But during this whole process, when they thought they had lost all control, they learned that prayer is actually not giving up control. It's trusting the one who is in control. And what they learned about prayer and what we learned from their story is ultimately prayer develops a deep faith and dependence and a trust in your heavenly father. And so that's my hope for this series. My goal is to get you just to pray. If you don't pray, pray. Or maybe you've stopped praying. I want you to pray again. Or if you do pray, my goal and my hope is that you pray consistently. And if you already pray consistently, my hope is that you pray like Joel and Brenda last week taught us, with a deep faith in your heavenly Father. But why should we pray? Why should we even pray at all? Well, According to the famous 90s theologian, MC Hammer, we got to pray just to make it today. That's word we pray. Hey. <laughs> but there's some reasons why we don't pray, isn't there? There's some, there's some reasons why we hear that song. We're like, yeah, but that still didn't cause me to pray. It's because maybe you don't feel like you're good enough. Maybe you feel like, ah, well, I really don't know how to pray. I'm not sure how to pray. Or maybe you get bored or distracted while you pray. Or while you're having pillow talk with God, you fall asleep. Anybody been there? Right? Or maybe you think your requests are too small for God or that your prayers, like we said earlier, don't make a difference. Because when you have prayed before, you might've prayed some of these prayers, like you prayed for help, right? God, give me wisdom. Give me a decision in this business venture. Help me understand, should I take that job? Do I need to move here? 
Maybe it's a help to get out of a situation or to have an awkward conversation. You're like, oh, I gotta have that conversation at work or with a family member. Could even be for just direction in life. Many of us, our prayers are circled around meals, right? Have you ever prayed this prayer? Uh, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat, right? Or, or you've taken a cue from Ricky Bobby. Dear, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, thank you for this bountiful harvest of Domino's KFC and the always delicious Taco Bell. Please don't let these calories go to our thighs, right? But many times we also pray for our hopes, maybe career aspirations, maybe to get into that college, to get into that school, for that girl or guy to say yes when you ask them out, right? Or maybe you've prayed this, God, give me a hassle-free, zit-free, sunny day, green light, kids behave, good hair day kind of day. Essentially, God, make my life easier. Ever prayed that before, right? Well, some of us, some of us have prayed those, but some of us, maybe even today, are praying prayers that are a little more serious, a little more out of desperation. You're praying because you're so lonely and you're like, God, I need friends. God, bring me a spouse. I need someone to spend the rest of my life with. Or maybe you're praying that you do have a spouse and you're praying for God to fix them because you're not sure if this is going to work out. Or you're praying that for a diagnosis you have or maybe a family member has and you're praying for healing. Or some of you, you're praying that God puts food on the table tomorrow or keeps the light on because you don't know how you're going to make it. And when we hear that, many of us, that's when we turn to God, isn't it? When we're in final desperation, when we're at our wit's end, where it's our last ditch effort, we're like, okay, God, I can't figure this out anymore. Here you go. Do you hear me? And my hope for prayer is that you don't see prayer as a last resort. In fact, you see it differently. You see it as a first response. In the bad times and the good, you can do what Paul, our apostle Paul says, you could pray without ceasing. You have such a deep trust in God that you'll always be talking to him. And so to, do, to, to, to figure that out today, to learn more about that, um, I wanna look at a man named Jabez who doesn't get a lot of attention in the Bible. And what we learned from his prayer is that prayer can affect everything in our lives. It helps us lead better, helps us work better, helps us parent better, helps the way we think, the way we feel, and even the words we use with the people around us in our relationships. See, he's only got two verses written in him, written about him, but his prayer is so powerful and teaches us what prayer can do and how we should pray. So if you have your Bibles, turn to First Chronicles. And in First Chronicles, while you're turning, I'm gonna set it up. Uh, the book is all about a sweeping history of the nation of Israel. All the way, it starts with, the, with Adam, goes through the kings of Jerusalem, and then even to the return of the exiles from Babylonian captivity of the nation of Israel. Uh, basically, if you want to know a history of God's people, it's a great place to start is First Chronicles. Uh, it was specifically written for those returned exiles to remind them that they are still God's chosen people, that they are still in the line of royalty in, with David, and that they can still trust him because he was still with them, even though, as we read, they constantly rebelled against him. Now, when you read it, it's nine chapters of a genealogy is how it starts. It's kind of boring, I'm gonna be honest. But the reason the author did that is to remind everyone who was involved in this whole process and that these are real people, this is not fictitious. Through those nine chapters of genealogy, right in the middle is Jabez. And the author stops and tells us his prayer, which means it is something we need to pay attention to. So here's how the author starts. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And that word honorable means a man of faith. And not any kind of faith, 
a deep faith, a deep sense of trust in his heavenly father. So that's why the author pulls him out. And then this next line, it makes you go, why would you write this? If you're trying to paint a picture, a good picture of someone, why would you put this in here? But here's, look what he writes next. He says, his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I give birth to him in pain. Why would you include that? That's terrible. Can you just imagine growing up and Jabez going to a networking event? Hey, Ra- hey, what's your name? Oh, my name's Rahul. What's your name? Jabez. Oh, you brought your mom a lot of pain, did you? Or, or can you imagine Jabez growing up and his mom getting a- angry at him? You've already caused me so much pain when, I, when you came out of me, and now you're going to cause me more pain? Listen, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out, and there'll be pain. Trust me. Like, I can just imagine. So why would he say that? Well, back then, names were given as a prophecy or an experience. Kind of like today, right? We do that. We choose names based on family heritage, legacy, or things we want the person to be known for. Like, for example, in Hindi, my name, Rahul, means killer of demons. Don't worry. That's just my side hustle. I'll only do it on the weekends. And so... But that's, that's why names were given. Here's what I really believe. I really believe the reason the author included this in here is to show us that Jabez was not going to be defined by his identity. His identity was found in God, being adopted into God's family. He was not going to let his identity, stop, his name stop him to be who he was and who he's called to be. That he was going to be a man of honorable and deep, deep faith, trusting in God. That's how he wanted to be known. And that's something we can take a cue, of, cue from, Right? If, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, you've been adopted into God's family. Your past no longer defines you. Your current circumstances no longer define you. Your own name doesn't define you. God defines your identity. Your prayers, how you pray will def- determine the script for your life and live in that, te- don't live in that tension of, oh man, I'm, not, I'm just not living in freedom. I'm, I'm having this victim mentality. No, you're, you're royalty. He says, you are from the line of David. You are the royal priesthood. You are his masterpiece. He says, come boldly to my throne where you will find help and grace every single day. And that's what I believe why the author included this because Jabez didn't limit himself. He said, you know what? That doesn't define who I am. So the next, we learn what Jabez's prayer is. And here's how Jabez starts out. It says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. And pause right there. The words cry out shows a desperation, right? It shows his posture. He's there, but he says, God, I need you. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. I need you so bad. It shows who, how he, his relationship with God. It shows his humility before God. Now, when you read this, whenever I read the words cried out, I'm like, oh, something bad's happening in his life. He needs some help. He's at his wits end. He's at his lowest point. This is his last resort. On the contrary, this next line shows us and makes us think differently than his circumstances. Here's his prayer. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Why would you be so desperate for that? It's because his posture was in the thing we need to pay attention to. And he asks God, will you bless me and enlarge my territory? And you're like, wait, wait, wait. We're not supposed to ask God to bless us, are we? Like, I thought that's selfish. I thought we're not allowed to do that. Actually, here, God tells us we can do that. And if we believe scripture confirms scripture, it's constantly throughout scripture that God, we can ask God to bless us. In fact, he says, I can bless you and I want to bless you. I want what's best for your life. I want you to be blessed. So ask God to bless you, to bless your efforts, to bless your business, to bless your family, to bless your kids, to bless your relationships. That's okay to ask God to bless you. And it's interesting because here, Jabez is essentially saying, I need God's power in my life. 
more than anything else. So God, will you please bless me? Then he continues on. After he asks for God's power, he says, let your hand be with me. Next, he asks for God's presence in his life. So you see, he knew if God were to bless him and give him more territory, he understood what my friend says. More money, more problems, right? New levels, new devils. He understood the more you get, the more stress you get, the more uh, overwhelmed you can get, the more anxiety you get, because there's more to be responsible for. There's more to take notice of. There's more help you'll need. And he asked for God's presence in his life. Why would he do that? Well, it's because God's presence gives you confidence in life better than anything else. I mean, just think about that. You're asking for the creator of the universe, the one who holds the whole world in his hands, the one who knows your future and has what's best for you in mind. That's the best blessing you can ever get, right? That creates a calmness and a confidence in life that helps you make it every single day and gives you a hope and a peace that goes beyond all understanding. And that's what Jabez knew. He understood that. And so he asks for God's power. Then he asks for God's presence. And finally, he says, keep me from harm. So I will be free from pain. Power, presence, and then he asks for God's protection. See, back then, in biblical times, if you got more stuff, people are going to come and physically try to take it away. But also, he knew there would be critics who were criticizing him because of all the blessings he got. Kind of, like what we, uh, kind of like what we do today. Well, none of y'all, other people, right? We, when someone posts on social media, uh, we say things like about their vacation. We're like, oh, can't hide money, right? Or, or we might say, oh, well, they must be doing something illegal to afford that, right? You're money laundering? None of us, right? But it's other people. But that's what happens. There's a lot of criticism that comes when you get blessed or when you get more of God in your life. Here's what's actually fascinating about this. He wasn't talking about those things. See, the word harm, the Hebrew word for it is actually evil. Jabez understood that with what Uncle Ben told Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. And when there's more responsibility, your motivations can change. Your motivations start becoming internalized and you start focusing more on what you want and your own desires and even claiming that you created the blessings you have. And so Jabez was worried about his own sin nature to give into temptation, to give into his own motivations. I mean, that happens to us today. The closer you get to God, the more you focus on praying and having God's presence and power, and you're going to need his protection because the enemy is going to attack you. The devil doesn't care about people who ain't living for God, right? He cares about the people who are, and he's going to come after you and try and tempt you to no longer have a relationship with God, to move away from God, to not have his presence and his power and his protection in your life. And that's what Jabez understood. Essentially, here's what he was praying. If you bless me, be with me and protect me from my own motivations so I can continue to be the honorable man you want me to be. So my life isn't characterized by these blessings, by what I visibly have, but instead by what is unseen, my faith in you. And because he was called honorable, we knew he achieved that, right? And that should be something that we all try to achieve for. And here's how the prayer ends. It's actually, he's ended his prayer And here's how the historian ends and says next. And God granted his request. He asked for blessings, for power, for protection, for presence, and he got it. How incredible is that? You see, God 
loves you and is for you and wants to bless you. You can't out-ask God. You can't out-dream God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So ask God. Ask him for whatever you need. Stretch your imagination. Tell him what you need. He, he'll answer you and it'll be better than you can ever ask or imagine. Now, here's the thing I want you to be careful of though. Jabez's prayer is not a template for how we should pray. It's not a specific combination of words. We don't say like Jabez, oh God, would you enlarge my territory? And then he answers it exactly that way. That's not how prayer works. Some of you just got a sigh of relief that you don't have to pray in King James Version. It's okay, you're good. But what we can learn from Jabez is his posture. This posture that he had that positioned himself to receive those blessings. He had this posture that created a dependence and an attitude of life. Because that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is essentially uh, the petition to God. It's a direct appeal to God to receive his, his help and his grace every single day. And so for us, what we can learn is how do we get to that posture so that we know our prayers are being heard and we know God hears us and we know he wants to bless us. Well, if we look at Jabez's prayer, there's three things we can notice that helps us, uh, that helps us understand how to get to that posture. And the first thing we need to do is we need to understand our relationship with God. This is so fundamental to, to prayer is we got to understand that God is so good and he loves us and is for us. Now, many of us don't approach God that way. You might not use these words, but this is kind of the feeling we get. We might say, oh God, I am sorry to bother you. I know you're angry with me. I know you hate people, but here I am. And that's kind of our posture towards God. And that's because I believe what we have is God anxiety in our society. The church is for so long is taught that God is angry at you and he doesn't want to bless you. In fact, he's some, you might think he's some higher power in the sky ready to pounce on you and say, oh, you're asking for a blessing. Ha, I saw you just mess up, right? But that's not who God is. Now, for some of us, we might not see God that way. We might see him how Professor John Frame explains him in this way. To some, God is a benevolent grandfather figure or grandmother, whose love excludes any kind of punishment or discipline. To some, God is a blessing dispenser, one who gives people everything they want, as long as they pray with enough faith. To still others, God is a cosmic policeman who sits ready to pounce on anyone who makes a moral mistake. He's actually none of those, right? The scripture describes God as a perfect heavenly father, not like an earthly one, a perfect heavenly father. He is a good, good father who wants what's best for you and knows what's best for you. The Journal of Psychology and Religion actually did a study on this and they took the correlation between prayer and anxiety related symptoms and showed how your view of God is so important to your prayer life. Um, and what they found was those who prayed with a view of God that was loving and protective experienced dramatic reductions in anxiety-related symptoms compared to those who pray without the expectation of comfort or protection. And it's fascinating to me because that means your prayer life affects your whole life. What you say to God and how you come to God and how your view of God affects not just what you talk to him about, but how you talk to others and the way you have anxiety and handle anxiety and get peace in your life. And so what's your view of God? If you see God as a boss, you know, like you're going into the office asking for a raise, but expecting not to, or do you see God as maybe a parent? You're like, dad, I'm sorry, I messed up. 
Or do you see God as a judge? You're going to plead your case bargaining for a lesser sentence because he demands justice. If you see God as any of those, then you don't understand who God is. And your prayer life is going to reflect that. And that is extremely important because then you won't ever feel like you're experiencing what God has for you. And so your view of God is extremely important to how you pray. So after your relation, understanding your relationship to God and who God is, as you start praying, you've got to understand your motivations as you pray. For Jabez, his motivations was all about God's presence, wasn't it? I need more of you in my life is what he would tell God. I need you more than anything. I need your protection, your power, your presence, everything I need in my life because I want more of you. But many times when we pray, our motivations are more so what? It's to get what we want, isn't it? It's almost like we're saying my will be done in my earth. And that's our hope. That's our motivation. But as we talked about just a second ago, who you are is determined by how you pray. So if your motivations are for yourself, that's how you're going to pray. And if that's how you pray, we've learned that the transcript of your prayers is the script for your life. That's what's going to happen in how you act and how you feel and how you lead and how you parent. Mark Batterson, the pastor I love, puts it this way. A well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers. And well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. Your motivations determine how you pray. Your motivations also determine how you live and if you will have a well-lived life. I think we need to take a cue from what David said in Psalm 37, 4, when he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But many times our motivations are flipped, right? We're like, delight yourself and then I'll get the desires of my heart. And we start with this way, don't we? We say, give me the desires of my heart, God, first, then I'll delight myself in you. We've got it backwards. We've got to delight ourselves. Our motivation needs to be more of him in our, his presence in our life. We want nothing more than a relationship with God and he wants a relationship with you. Then we get the desires of our heart. And when you start doing that and start focusing on that and understand that, you'll start doing what Jesus called us to do. If you remember, Jesus said, you're not to live for yourself anymore. You're called to die to yourself. You're here to live for God and for others first. And when you start doing that, your prayers start changing. And you start understanding, instead of God, what can you do for me? You start saying, God, what can I do for you? And let me tell you, there's some peace there. It's so freeing. So after you understand your relationship with God, and then you understand your motivation, while you pray, the last thing we need to do is understand what is our expectation for our prayers. See, Jabez's expectation was whatever you wanted, God, I know I want your power, your peace, and your, prote- your presence, and your protection with me. Ultimately, I want more of you, and your will be done, not mine. So my expectation is you will answer me, but you will answer me because you know what's best for me, and it's in your way. And so he understood prayer doesn't just get you what you want. And many times our prayers are centered around God being a genie and a lamp. Rub the lamp, he pops out and says, your wish is my command, right? And then he goes back into the, uh, to the lamp, and we carry it around until we need him again. But that's not a relationship with God. That's a dictatorship. That's you just telling God to do what you want. Let me illustrate it this way. What would happen if you said yes to everything your kids ask for? Ooh, for me, I'd be in debt up to my eyeballs. Man, electronics, clothes, shoes, experiences, there's just no way I could make that happen. But more importantly, it wasn't just an affordability thing. It's also an entitlement thing. I want them, when they get into the real world, to not expect every single person to give them whatever they want. Because what would happen? They'd be angry and frustrated with everyone 
And they would not be productive members of society, would they? And for many of us, that's sometimes how we approach God, isn't it? We go to God, hey God, I need you to answer my prayer in this way and in this timing. And if you don't, I get angry with you and frustrated with you. But if he's our perfect heavenly father, he knows what's best for us, just like we know for those of us who have kids, what's best for our kids. Imagine if God said yes to all our prayers. Kind of reminds me of the movie Bruce Almighty. If you've seen that movie, uh, Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, uh, is talking to God, who's played by Morgan Freeman. Side note, do you ever think that like Morgan Freeman's voice is God? Like when I pray, I feel like I hear Morgan Freeman respond to me. But they're having this conversation and, and Bruce is talking to God and is like, I can do it better than you. And God's like, okay, peace, I'm out of here. You can have the world, go for it. And he's like, I got this. Sits down at the, pray, uh, the computer prayer, the prayer, prayer computer, and, and is answering prayers one by one. And they just keep flooding in over and over as he has this power. And he's like, oh, I can't handle this. So he, hits, he, he selects all and replies yes to every single prayer. All of them are done. There are millions of prayer. He just goes to bed, super satisfied. The next morning, everything looks amazing, right? Some lady's walking by and goes, man, I lost 45 pounds on the Krispy Kreme diet, right? Another guy goes, another girl says to a guy, you look taller today. He goes, because I am. Everybody who asked to win the lottery won it. And it's just amazing. But then all of a sudden, chaos starts happening and there's mayhem. The value of the dollar crashes. Uh, every sporting event becomes so boring because both teams, uh, every game ends in a tie because people are praying for both sides. And it just goes downhill from there. It gets worse and worse, which it's just a funny illustration, but that's what, why God doesn't answer yes to all our prayers. And I know Jesus said, ask for anything and it will be given to you. But really our expectation should know that God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, I'll give it to you. No, it's not good for you. Or wait, it's not time yet. And when we have that correct expectation, we'll understand and start developing a sense of trust in God knowing he knows what's best for us. And we'll come to this realization that prayer doesn't align God to your will. It aligns your will to his. And when you get to that point Man, it's amazing. You'll delight yourself in the Lord, like, Paul, uh, like David says, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But the desires of your heart end up changing. It's, amazing. It's, so, it's so incredible. It's so freeing because you'll start wanting what he wants. You'll start serving him and asking more of what he wants. And there, guys, you'll start seeing his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And that's when you not just make prayer something you do, it becomes a way of life. And when it becomes a way of life, you start living with deep gratitude, with joy, with freedom, and ultimately that peace I keep talking about. For me, I had this realization when I was living in New Orleans. Uh, Andy and I, uh, we were a young couple that just got married and moved to seminary to go to grad school in New Orleans, uh, living in the Ninth Ward there on campus. Uh, I, was a, I, I got a job as a waiter. She got a job at the preschool on campus. Uh, and after a couple of years, we had our first kid, Colin. And so because of that, we decided to focus on him. So we took a semester off uh, from classes. And the seminary said, you can live on campus for one semester, but that's it. And so Annie, uh, I, pick up, I, pick, I picked up some more shifts at, as a waiter because Annie was no longer working and taking care of Colin. As, Colin. as we had Colin, we started realizing he had complications. And he needed to go to the doctor weekly, sometimes daily. He needed to be put on a special formula. And it was expensive. And we were just, I was working, just barely making ends meet. And then one day something crazy happens. 
I can't explain it. You're going to think it's crazy. And it's, it's just, it's nuts. But one day we get to this point where we don't know what we're going to do. I didn't realize it, but we'd run out of funds. And rent was due the next day. And all I could think of is a seminary going, you can only live on campus for one semester without taking classes. And here we are not taking classes and then not being able to pay rent. And so we like, God, we don't know what to do. We've trusted you by moving here. We've trusted you with everything. I, we, just help us. We're so desperate. We went to bed that night, waking up the next morning, hoping a miracle would happen. Nothing had happened. And we're like, okay, I guess I'm just going to go plead my case to the office. But before I did, I went to the mail uh, and just looked through it. And my wife got a letter from a friend and I just started going through um, some different um, pieces of mail. She opens the letter and there's a check in it. And she says, Raul. I go, what's up? She goes, you're never gonna believe this. But the check was for the exact amount of our rent to the dollar. I was dumbfounded. I was in awe. I didn't expect God to answer our prayer. I know I was studying to be a pastor, but I didn't expect God to answer our prayer. And some people, you might call it coincidence. Yeah, it could be, but I don't believe so. I actually believe it was God because the story doesn't end there. She calls her friend and says, why did you send this to us? And her friend responds with, I was praying and I just felt like God said, send you all some money. And he gave me this specific amount. So I did it. I hope it helps. Hope it helps. Of course it helped. It answered our prayers. It helped us have like, it helped us make it another month. And here's the crazy thing. He'll do that for you too. That's what God can do. He loves you so much. He will always show up for you. And it's better than you could ever ask or imagine. And it's in his timing and in his way, not in our ways. Because he sees the bigger plan. And here's what I mean by that. I believe that moment wasn't for that moment. I believe that moment was to prepare us for what happened a year later when Hurricane Katrina hit and we lost everything. And as we're watching the devastation, realizing that everything on the Sunray campus that we had was gone, we were reminded he took care of us and he was with us and he is good. And I just need to ask for more of him and he will always be with us. And see, here's the thing. He has never done that in that way before that check nor has he provided for us in that way since that check. I told you, crazy, right? Unbelievable. But that's who God is. He loves you so much that he will always do something to show you that he is with you so you can trust him for anything now that you're going through and anything that's gonna happen in the future. But you've got to be the one to say, God, I need you and I depend on you and you've got to have the correct posture because when we do that, he'll exceed your expectations. He'll do more than you could ever ask or imagine. So this morning, I just want you to start where you are, wherever you are when it comes to prayer. If you're new to prayer, or maybe you're coming back to prayer, maybe something spurred inside you, you know, let me try this again. Here's what I want you to do. Just this week, just all I want you to do is just ask God for what you need. That's it. Just ask him for what you need. Wisdom for a business venture, ask him. Help for how to parent your strong-willed child, ask him. Funds to provide for your medical bills, uh, to put food on the table, ask him. A diagnosis you might have received, pain to go away, peace from the anxiety, you can ask him. Just remember to have the correct posture that you understand ultimately your relation to him, your, motiv- your motivations for praying, and your expectations for how he will answer your prayer. Now, if you already pray, 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the question, why do I pray? Why do I pray? Do I believe God is good? Do I pray so I can get more of his presence in my life and to get closer to him and just to have him available? Or do I just pray for my will be done? Is my expectation that he will answer my prayers in my way and in my timing or his way, his timing? And it's a yes or no or a maybe. I'm not a maybe, a later. But if you already pray, ask yourself, why do I pray? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you're exempt. You don't have to do this. This sounds crazy, doesn't it? You're like, oh, I'm just throwing up some words to the sky and hope this, thing, this guy up there hears us. But here's what I want to encourage you. Try it. What could it hurt? We already talk to ourselves all the time, don't we? What if you took those words and put them in his general direction? You never know what could happen. So try it. In fact, the fact that you're here listening to this could be an answer to someone's prayer. The fact that you're watching right now could be because someone has been thinking about you and praying for you and know that God wants to have a relationship with you and they believe Jesus makes life better and makes us better at life. And they know that prayer will benefit you because God sent Jesus to die for you. And when he came back to life, he showed us that we can go directly to God, not through anything, and he hears us. So try it out. You never know. Word of caution for all of us when it comes to prayer. Things will begin to happen. You'll begin to focus on God more. You'll begin to focus on others more. You'll become more generous. You'll start living by the spirit, as scripture tells us, and you'll hear from God, not audibly, but you'll get direction and wisdom. And ultimately, because you've made prayer a way of life, not just something you do, you'll experience more purpose, more freedom, more joy. Because that's what prayer does. Prayer takes the pressure off of us and puts it on him, the one who can handle it all. It's the difference between what we can do and what God can do. It helps with anxiety, stress, everything that affects our daily lives. It helps us make wiser decisions. It helps us have guidance because you know everything comes from your heavenly father. But most importantly, it nourishes your soul because prayer reminds you that God's power, presence, and protection is with you everywhere you go. So parents and grandparents, Keep praying for that kid. They will come back. Spouses, keep praying for your spouse. God will change you and bring you back together one day. Young adults, students, keep praying for God to give you direction. He will open a door. Business owners, keep praying for wisdom so your business becomes profitable. And for those of you who don't know how you're gonna make it another day, Keep delighting yourself in the Lord. He will provide for you in his timing and in his way. And it's better than you can ever ask or imagine.